Our God is indeed the Ancient of Days. He who created all that is. God who reigns today. Uh, going to be opening your Bible to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3. And while you're turning there, I want to just kind of bring us up to date. 2 Timothy chapter 3, what we've been studying. Two weeks ago, we focused on the glory of God. The fact that God reveals His glory. He's revealed His glory at times in the Old Testament with magnificent signs and wonders. He revealed His glory in the Gospels and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And for us, church, God reveals His glory to the world around us through you and through me. He has created us to be something new, a a new people. He reveals Himself in the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ in His incarnation. He reveals Himself in His written word, the Bible. The highest value that Christians have is worship, and that was last week where we focused on our worship of God. We know that because it's a simple command. One lawyer, Matthew 22, came to Jesus asking Him a question to try to trick Him or test Him. And the question He asked was, Jesus... Which is the greatest commandment of the law? There was a lot of discussion about that among the different groups and religious leaders of the day. But Jesus' response cut right to the quick. He said, this is the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Now he goes on to say, and the second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law. And all the prophets. But the highest command, the first command is that we know God, that we love Him, that we uh, express our adoration to Him. It is our joy and our task for eternity. Missions is important. We have a commission to go make disciples. Ministry is important. Caring for one another is a need that we have. It's our love for one another that demonstrates the changes Christ has made in our life. But worship is what we get to enjoy for all eternity. And as we see Him, as He's revealed in Scripture and reveals Himself to our hearts through His Holy Spirit, as we get glimpses of His glory through His presence in each other's lives and in creation that He has made, as we see Him and enter His presence in prayer and through the study of Scripture, we, from glory to glory, are transformed. And we see Himself, we see Him, As he lives his life in us. And we worship him. We love him. We tell of him. We talk about him to him. We tell him that we love him. We talk about him to ourselves. As we sing and as we read scripture. And as we pray. And as we go through the day. But we also talk about him to others. We praise him. The father inhabits the praise of his people. And today we're looking at the the second value if you will. The first of course being worship. The second of course being the Word of God, truth. We proclaim truth. We proclaim truth as revealed in the living Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us, but also as in the written Word, the Bible, that God inspired and that God has preserved for us. As believers and as a church, we have a high view of Scripture. We know it to be truth. God has revealed it to be truth. It is demonstrably truth, and it is Uh, reliable and dependable. It is God's Word to us. We believe, first of all, that there is a God, but second of all, that He is a God who speaks. Amen? God speaks. God speaks today. I don't want this to turn into some oration about some object. I want us to make sure that we're engaged in this truth. God speaks, and one of the ways that God has spoken is He inspired 
men, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, through the years to write and to record not only history, but the words that God has said. I've always had a high view of Scripture. I was raised in a preacher's home. Uh, I was taught Bible stories from, from, from birth on. We would go to church and Sunday school and Sunday night. Some of you may be old enough to remember BYPU. You guys ever heard of BYPU? I'm grateful that there are at least a couple who are ancient of days, as I am. Not ancient of days as God is. But that was Baptist Young People's Union way back in the day. Uh, I, I was taught uh, the Scriptures and to have high regard for the Scriptures throughout my life. And when at the age of 15 I surrendered to the call to preach, my dad gave me a Schofield Reference Bible. And inside the front of that Bible, on the inside cover, he wrote this poem that had been written by Edmund Philippant called My O Bible. And it went like this, Though the cover is worn and pages are torn, and places bear traces of tears, Yet more precious than gold is this book worn and old that can shatter and scatter my fears. When I prayerfully look in this precious old book, many treasures and pleasures I see, many promises of love from the Father above who is nearest and dearest to me. To this book I will cling, of its worth I will sing, Though great losses and crosses be mine. For I cannot despair, though surrounded by care, while possessing this blessing divine. This book is my guide. Tis a friend by my side. It will lighten and brighten my way. And each promise I find soothes and gladdens the mind as I read it. And heed it each day. Now I know that it's just rank sentimentalism. But it's truth. Just because it's sentimental and evokes an emotion in me particularly. Does not diminish its truth. Much like Timothy. Who learned God's word at the feet of Eunice and Lois. I was taught to have a high regard from the Word of God from a very early age. But we live in a day when there is a deep antagonism toward the Word of God, and it has ever been thus. This is the case as it has always been. In Second Timothy chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is encouraging young Timothy. He's a young preacher. He's stationed at Ephesus, not the easiest place to be a pastor. He's got a very diverse congregation, and Paul has given him some... Very clear instruction. I would like for us to read verse 12 and following of Second Timothy chapter 3 all the way through chapter 4, verse 4. So beginning in verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, Paul to Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, 
for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. I charge you. That's a pretty direct phrase. I charge you, he says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. That kind of raises the bar. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. You're going to stand before him. And by his appearing and his kingdom, here's the charge after that introduction, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming, and now is, when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into mists. Father, thank you for this exhortation that Paul gave to Timothy, this exhortation that you inspired Paul to write, not only to Timothy, but to us. Thank you for your word that you wrote, that you have preserved, that you speak to us through today. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who brings it to life in our minds and our hearts. And I pray that you'll help us to understand the need to be firmly established in truth. In your name I pray. Amen. Now you may be like me. You may have a very high view of the Word of God. You may believe it's the Word of God. You may have memorized it in your youth group or at other classes. You may be part of a Bible study and you have a high view of God. But I want you to be aware that according to this text, there are those, all those who desire to lead a godly life, all of those who are going to build their lives on God's Word, believe it, proclaim it, profess it, are going to have challenges, are going to be persecuted because the Word of God is not popular to those who do not know God. We need to have some sense of the antagonism that the world has toward God's Word. God's Word has always come under attack. Do you remember the first claim of Satan in the garden? What's the first thing that Satan said in the Garden of Eden to Eve when he was tempting her to sin? What did he say? Did God really say? Did God really say you can't eat of any tree? Well, no, he didn't say you can't eat of any tree. You can't eat of this tree. You can't touch it? No, no, that's not. And he begins to question and to call into question doubt not only what the word was, but the reason and the meaning behind it and the motivation behind it. There is always, as long as there's a devil, there's going to be attack on the Word of God. Amen? You understand that? And he has demons that work with him and societies. Whole society, there have been kingdoms and nations and kings, monarchs and rulers and others. There are places in this world today where it is illegal for you to own a copy of the Word of God. There's always antagonism toward the Word of God. In many places, there's just apathy. Well, we just don't care. But sometimes there's antipathy, which is, we don't like it. It's a dislike, a disregard. We certainly don't feel about it. But what we have in our world today is more than that. We have antagonism, which is hostility. And you and I need to have some sense of understanding the antagonism that the world has against the Word of God. Christians are often perplexed by the resistance to the Bible and to the gospel. We tend to gather in groups and have holy huddles. We distance ourselves from the reality that the Bible sounds so exceedingly strange in the culture that we live in. We underestimate the distance of the divide between a biblical worldview, understanding the Bible, the world, life, and through God's perspective as, as revealed in Scripture, and a secular worldview. 
And so we are engaged in a battle of how we view the world. That the Bible is breathed out by God and is the authoritative revelation of God is impossible for many people to accept. And I want to take just a minute and, and figure out why that is. Why would that be so? And it's because the Bible makes its claims irrefutably to be the authoritative truth. There is a God. He speaks. What he says is true. He's recorded it. He's preserved it. And it's ours. It's ours to learn. It's ours to, to, to see God in. It's ours to see ourselves in. It's ours to recognize His truth. The Bible doesn't hide the mistakes of God's people. It reveals them and how God deals with them. We learn so much from the Word of God. And yet, if you are not a follower of God, if you have not come to the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've, if you've not set your path, or God has not redeemed you and set your path after Him, the Bible's hard. It's hard. I remember many times as I was a kid, my dad would lay down the law for us. I don't know if you guys know what that means, but he would set a rule or he would make a statement or he would make a plan and say, this is what you're going to do. And I have a twin brother. I have a sister a year older and a sister five years younger. She got away with a whole bunch of stuff. We'll deal with that later. But as far as my brother and I are concerned, we'd say, Dad, we don't like it. And he'd say, son, you don't have to like it. You just have to do it. There's a lot of times when the truth of God is something that our flesh just doesn't like. It's hard. And yet when we come to God, we recognize how He's revealed Himself to us. We value the Word of God. We see it as God's Word preserved for us, truth dependable, no error in it. We submit ourselves to it. And the world has an issue with authority. Would you agree with that? being told what to do, especially being told what to do in a way that we don't like. And when you look at Scripture all the way through, there are things that matter in the world. Scripture makes the claim to be truth, real truth, true truth, non-negotiable truth. And we live in a day when truth is relative. When what's true for you may not be true for me. At least that's the thinking of the world. The easiest example of this, in my mind, uh, was when Judge could... Ketanji Brown Jackson, the Supreme Court nominee, was being uh, uh, questioned. And Marcia Blackburn, the Tennessee Republican, asked her, would you define what a woman is? Would you define the word woman? And her response is, I can't. I can't do it. And so what's clear, what's clear black and white truth is now, even now being called into, into question, the Bible is clear and unapologetic, beginning with a straightforward declaration of divine creation. It begins with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In that creation, He creates two genders, male and female. He created them. The differences between male and female are not just traditions imposed by society that are up for grabs and redefinable. They are designed by the God who created us and ordained our lives upon the earth. And then he immediately goes to marriage. He brings Eve to Adam. He unites them together. He gives a verse that's repeated three times in Scripture, uh, verbatim, about a man leaving a mother and father and wife leaving and them cleaving together and becoming one. And we see that God establishes the institution of marriage. It is not a cultural construct, but it is a covenant between one man and one woman. And we see this clearly in Scripture. We go from creation to gender to marriage to sin. You don't get very far in Genesis till you get to chapter 3 and you see God giving them one rule 
you see their temptation, their pride, their sin, their rebellion against God, and it's not described as, well, they just made a mistake, or they just, it's okay, it was their call. it's really not their fault, it was the serpent's fault, even though they tried to get away with that. And what the Scripture clearly teaches is man not as a victim of circumstance, but as a willful transgressor of the law of God, who then faces the consequences of a holy God who is just. Would that be embraced by our society today? Do, do you see why there is antagonism towards Scripture? We see later the law being given. There's a strong antipathy to the law of our country and those who enforce them today. We claim to be a nation of laws, and yet our culture <laughs> fights against that significantly. Are you guys familiar with the no police zones and the self-police zones and the defunding and the devaluing of law and law enforcement in sections of our society today. Even those who don't go that far don't go that far don't want God telling them what to do or not do. And yet the Bible presents the living God, the creator of the entire cosmos as a speaking God who addresses his people with authority, authoritative revelation. Deuteronomy 4:33 did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live as Israel was to learn? Revelation leads to obedience and God's wrath is poured out upon sin. Then we come to the New Testament. You come to Jesus, fully God, fully man. He comes on the scene. Scripture documents miracles. And Jesus' teaching is recorded in the hard words that He say that He says are recorded for us. And then we see Christ going to the cross, God's Son being sacrificed. We see an empty tomb, God's Son being raised, all of which contradict any claim that Jesus is just a good teacher, or just a good guide, or just a good example, or some kind of early social activist, and that everything's okay because we only want the parts of the Bible that we love. The Bible claims to be authoritative in every part. And now we have God's people drawn from every tongue and tribe and nation to represent Him to the world. Heaven and hell are real places, and one day you'll be one in the other. Is that a popular teaching in the world today? No, everybody wants to believe in heaven. Nobody wants to believe in hell. Or even if they believe in it, they don't want to believe anybody's going there. And so the truths of Scripture are not palatable to people. who follow their own wisdom, who follow their own thinking, who follow their own desires and their own flesh. And the response that we have, you need to understand, that when you wonder why people are antagonistic toward the Bible and why people are antagonistic toward Christians, it's because of the claim of authority and the reality that we have a great, uh, a great God who loves us and extends grace to us, but who speaks truth, direct, propositional, real truth. All of which makes you and I grateful that our eyes were open so that we could see, grateful that we are His followers, committed to stand firm on the truth that will not pass away, passionate that others may know the God as He has revealed Himself in the Bible. It makes us want to have an answer for every man, for the faith that is within us. It makes us want to help people understand and come from where we came to where we are as followers of Christ, learning and students of the Word of God, allowing God's living and active Word to work in us, to transform us. But I will tell you that the antagonism against the Bible isn't just in the world. 
There are churches, whole churches today, denominations who are antagonistic towards Scripture. I will tell you one statistic from 10 years ago. Now, it's changed a little bit, but from one, one statistic, actually it's 11 years ago, one statistic they asked, uh, not simply Southern Baptists, but every Baptist denomination across the United States, they asked the ministers, the pastors, the clergy of those churches. They said, how many of you believe that the Bible is inspired by God and is infallible in its content? 57%. That ought to, it ought to break your heart or make you mad. Or maybe both. Mostly makes me mad. But lest you think we're worse, I can give you, and I didn't bring them with me in, in my notes, but I have them. Other deno- we are the most Bible-believing denomination that was included in the survey from 11 years ago. And the amount of people who say the Bible is, has some truth in it, or the Bible is a good guide but is not the inspired Word of God, complete, as Sharon read this morning from Psalm 19, more to be desired than gold, perfect in its content, the, the, the statutes of the Lord, the Word of the Lord for our benefit. It is devalued among those who even name the name of Christ. There are those who are from other religions and other I, I guess you call them denominations. Some of them are religions, some of them are cults who say, well, the Bible is okay so far as it goes, but let's add a book to it, and they'll have some sort of special revelation. They'll have uh, this book, the Book of Mormon, or they'll have this book, another book, the, the, their own Bible, or their own translation that is not academically sound, inspired by God. Uh, and, and you see these, and they pop up, and, and there is uh, antipathy toward the Bible as God's word and truth. You have pragmatism. You have people who say, well, yeah, I know the Bible's true, but we only want to do the things in it that we think work, the things that make sense to us, uh, particularly in the church growth movement from the 80s, 90s. Boy, that's late. That's old. Uh, 20, 20, 2000s, 2010s. The, the idea there was, hey, Listen, you need to do what will appeal to the crowds so that you can get a crowd in the building. You need to do what appeals, and there is so much of the Scripture that doesn't appeal. As a matter of fact, there was a whole movement years ago where we talked about erasing hell completely. The judgment of God, this sort of universalism, or even the prosperity gospel. God loves you. He wants you to drive a Mercedes. And then there's this syncretism. The syncretism that says culture makes a point or culture drives a value is kind of a wokeism, if you will. I'll use that phrase or word, terminology. That makes a statement, and the Christians in the church who have the Word of God say, well, it kind of sounds like it might be part of Scripture. And so we take a part of Scripture at a context and we apply it to a secular viewpoint that does not reflect the truth of God. But even you and I, when we're in our own Bible study, when we read something and the Holy Spirit reveals something to us of the truth of Scripture that our flesh doesn't like, we tend to discount it, right? I'll think about that later. You guys remember Scarlett O'Hara? I'm not going to think about that today, Lord. Can we come back to that at a later time? And we postpone allowing God's conviction and God's empowering to work with us. But here's what it all boils down to. Is the Bible true? I want you to know that if you're interested in this congregation and and, and where we're headed, we are firmly established that the Bible is the Word of God. 
It is truth that it has been revealed. It is truth that has been preserved. It is truth without any mixture of error. And your and my job is to know God through it as we open our minds to read it and to study it, to meditate upon it and to memorize it and to allow the Word of God to work its work in our heart, in our lives. We worship God, but we worship not a God of our creation. We worship the God of the Bible, that God is revealed in God's Word. And to that end, we need to come to that conviction. If you haven't already, you need to come to that conviction that this is a special book. It's not just the best idea of people that they wrote that that wrote down some things and was preserved there are characteristics (coughs) objective measurable characteristics about this book that make it different than any other book let me just give you a couple really quick if i can the bible says in this text it is god breathed it is inspired by god now i want you to understand when it says inspired it doesn't mean that they just got a great idea and they really feel like oh this is going to be a good thing let's write some things down It's breathed out by God. God spoke. There were more than 40 writers over a span of more than 1,500 years who did not know each other, who did not interact with each other. And they wrote and made a cohesive book. It's not one book, it's 66 books. And yet it is a cohesive whole from beginning to end. How can that be? objectively, how can that be unless there is one author who's writing through many people over time? The inspiration of Scripture refers to God's direction of human authors of the Bible to compose and to record His message to humanity in their original writings. And He did that in a couple of ways. Sometimes God spoke directly to them as to the prophets. Thus saith the Lord, write this down, Exodus 17, Ezekiel 24, Revelation 14, where the author is given specific instructions, write this down. But most often, God's direction comes through the supernatural influence of the Holy Spirit Himself as He worked through the personalities, through the vocabularies, through the writing and writing styles of the authors of the Bible. 1 Peter 1, 20, 21 describes it like this, they wrote or they spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit that resulted in these writings that are distinctly the work of these authors and yet completely the Word of God. The Scripture, the inspiration of Scripture reminds us that God wants us to know Him and His will, but more than that, He wants us to know the One He sent to rescue and redeem us, Jesus Christ, who gave His life for ours. The Bible's true and it's dependable. Amen? It's true. And it's dependable. And we need to understand the antagonism towards words, but we need to respect the inspiration of the Word of God. We need to recognize that it is its veracity. It is true and dependable, and its authority. If this is God speaking, we ought to pay attention, don't you think? If this is God speaking, we ought to pay attention. I am not going to get through this sermon today. I'm just going to tell you that it's not going to happen. But can I give you two things really quick? We talked about the variety of authors through, through the period of time and how the cohesiveness of Scripture. Uh, another thing is predictive prophecy. And just write these down really quick. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6. God begins in that passage and through the following sections when He's comforting Israel who's having a really tough time. She says, listen, take heart and stand firm. Remember and stand firm. And He talks about Himself. And he says, I'm the God of creation. I'm a God. There's no one like Me. I am the God who tells the end from the beginning. 
I tell you what's going to happen before it ever happens. And we have example after example, over 300 specific prophecies regarding Jesus alone. I mean, in the Old Testament, 700 years before the birth of Christ, we're given the location where He's going to be born. In Isaiah, we're told He's going to be born of a virgin, a single mom who had not known a man. We're told again and again, specifics throughout Scripture, that deal with His birth, that deal with His life, but also that deal with His death. Even to the point that He's going to be buried, not in His own grave, but in a borrowed grave from a rich man. Isaiah chapter 53, I believe it's verse 14, fulfilled in... We record it in Matthew chapter 27. Again and again, predictive prophecy. This is not some, oh, what's our best guess? Oh, we're just kind of winging it as we go, and it just happens to coincidentally fall apart. They're not guessing. And it's not that it was written backwards. It's not that we had the New Testament, and then they went and made the Old Testament to make it fit with the New Testament. That is completely disproven. It is the reality that we have a God who speaks the end from the beginning, supernaturally moves and writes. A unique characteristic, a distinctive of this Word of God. What about documents? Man, see, I'd love to take about an hour and a half and do this. What about the documents that we have? What about the ancient writings? How in the world can an ancient writing this old still be preserved? There are more extant, right now, manuscripts of writings of the Old Testament and the New Testament than any other document in existence from that period or from anywhere near that period. And I'm not going to take time to, to unfold this now. I do have some things that I would love to share and we will be sharing as we go forward about the reality of the Scripture. But, you know, there came a time when they were questioning the prophecy of God, the reliability of God's Word. And they said, and this is scholasticism, the... 1750s up to about 1900, and they said, well, no, things are just mixed up. The, the Bible was written out of order, and it was written by men, and, and they went back and they changed the text, and then God, I think, he just got fed up with it. And in 1947, a little shepherd boy was walking through the deserts down near Jericho. He was chasing a sheep. He picked up a rock, and he threw it in a cave, and he heard a clay pot shatter. He went in there, and he found these pots filled with scrolls and they called in the authorities you know what they found there the dead sea scrolls they found not only complete passage the first scroll they pulled out was the book of isaiah in its entirety they found not only all these old old copies old ancient copies pre-christ copies of the old testament scriptures but commentaries that went along with them in training so that god once and all said you guys who, are, who who think we're making this up here, we'll just demonstrate that we're not. This is the Word of God, inspired and preserved for you and I. Wow, I'd love to go on, but I'm going to stop there, except for to say that you and I, we need to quit playing when it comes to the Word of God. We need to be anchored on truth. Stephen Pierce took me fishing out behind Polly's Island last year for a couple of days, and I loved it. It was great, but if you've never been in a kayak, out behind Pauley's Island? Let me just say, you can't stay in one place. The current moves all the time. And so, I am paddling and trying to cast, and paddling and trying to cast. And I find myself being washed back and forward and to the side, and I'm trying not to turn over. And, you know, it's just, it was a continual struggle. And I look over, and there's Stephen just sitting in his kayak. And I'm thinking... 
He's got something I don't have. Something's happening to him that's not happening to me. I'm spending all my time trying to stay in one place, and he's getting the benefit of being anchored in a location. Hey, guys, if we don't anchor our lives on truth, we're going to be cast about and drift all over the place. And it's going to matter for our lives, and it's going to matter for the kingdom of God. We proclaim the truth we believe. The living Word of God, the Word made flesh who dwelt among us, the Lord Jesus Christ, as revealed in the written Word of God. His Holy Scriptures. And let me tell you what this written Word says. This written Word says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that there is none righteous, no, not one. This written Word has said the wages of sin is death. But... The free gift of God is eternal life, but only one way. Through His Son, Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. This written word tells us the story of how Christ, though He lived without sin, went to the cross to become sin, so that you and I can be forgiven of sin and cleansed, and we might become the righteousness of God in Him. This written word tells us as believers it's time to have a family meal. That we get together around the Lord's table. And we get to take a piece of bread representing His body. We get to take a cup of wine or juice representing His blood. And we get to show forth His death until He comes again. We want to be obedient. Those who love Him and know Him and walk in obedience to Him. Thank you.